Exactly. So. Who the devil are you? Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. My name is Mr. Burns. Excellent. Ahoy hoy, huddly doodly, and how are we all doing, my lovelies? This is Hello Mr. Burns, a Simpsons research podcast to make you sound a little bit smarter and hopefully help you win a little bit of pub trivia. So for today's episode, um, some really crummy news. Uh, I did have a wonderful guest for this episode. It was the illustrious, the elusive, the effervescent Cassie Thomas, who of course is the founder of one of the largest online expat communities in Hong Kong. Um, So yeah, as a massive bummer, we did record for like an hour and a half and then listening back, the audio was so horrific um, that we just couldn't use it. So that was a bit of a bummer. Um, but I promise we will get her on to another episode in the future. So for today's episode, we're going to be looking at season two, episode six called Dead Putting Society, of course, which is a play on the name Dead Poet Society. Um, so it was written by Jeff Martin and directed by Rich Moore. Martin was a really experienced miniature golfer and basically wrote the script around his own experiences playing in miniature golf opens and tournaments and all that kind of fun stuff. It is worth noting that for this episode, the animators insisted on going on a field trip to their local miniature golf course to uh, study the mechanics of a golf club swing. I don't know if you can hear me making little air quotes. Rich Moore, the director, I think he tried to justify it and um, basically said that the reason for this was that the humor of The Simpsons comes from making the scenery look lifelike. The realism of the background serves as a straight man for the absurdest situations. And it's kind of like, Dude, it's all right if you just wanted to go play miniature golf. Like, we love that. We love that. Any excuse. Anyway, okay, guys, so hold on to your hats. We'll jump into this one. It's a good one. This is Season 2, Episode 6, Dead Parting Society. Let's start with an episode synopsis. Doodly doodly. We begin the episode with uh, Ned Flanders watching Homer mow his lawn with frustration. He decides to invite him over to his basement for a beer. When Homer sees how wonderfully furnished the room is, how incredible Maud Flanders is, and how annoyingly well-behaved Rod and Todd are, he basically blows his top and accuses Ned of, like, trying to push it in his face how much better his family is. And um, this, my favorite line. (laughs) Knock what off, Simpson? You've been rubbing my nose in it since I got here. Your family is better than my family. Your beer comes from farther away than my beer. You and your son like each other. Your wife's butt is higher than my wife's butt. You make me sick. Simpson, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I hope you understand. I wouldn't stay on a bet. Later at night, we see Ned tossing and turning in bed, worrying about how he's ruined a relationship with his neighbor. And he decides to call up Reverend Lovejoy. <clears throat> Hello, Ned. Reverend Lovejoy, of course, just tells him, like, oh, I don't know, just apologize, get all your feelings out in a letter, and that might help. Flanders writes this really beautiful letter to Homer, but <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> Dear neighbor. <laughs> you are my brother. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> And yet, I feel a great sadness (laughs) in my bosom. (laughs) I think just the word bosom is just my favorite word. It's so funny. Anyway, so later that day, Homer takes Bart and Maggie to Sir Puttalot's Merry Old Fun Center for a round of miniature golf. They bump into Ned and his son Todd there, and they all decide to play golf together. 
Bart and Todd spot a poster up on the wall saying that there's going to be a children's miniature golf tournament and they decide to enter it. Of course, Homer and Ned kind of go head to head and start competing and saying that whichever child wins the tournament means that that person has the better father. Homer does try to train Bart. He gets him to um, to stare at a picture of Todd every day for two minutes, thinking about how much he hates him, all that kind of stuff. Um, and Bart decides to go to Lisa for help. Lisa does teach him how to play golf better by teaching him how to become a Zen master. She teaches him how to meditate. She shows him that uh, mini golf is just simple geometry and um, even teaches Bart how to achieve a low par. Eight hole. Aim for the octopus third tentacle. Twelfth hole. Bank it off the pink tombstone. Nirvana. A state of bliss attained through the extinction of the self. Meanwhile, the tension is building up between the two households and Homer and Ned decide to do a bet where the parent of the losing child or as Ned puts it, the child that doesn't win, has to mow the other's lawn wearing their wife's Sunday dress. On the day of the tournament, Bart and Todd go head to head. When they're on their final round, they're both completely even in the score when they realize they don't really want to do this anymore and they decide to announce that it's a draw. Everyone cheers and they decide to split the $50 prize. At the end of the episode, we see Homer and Ned rocking these fantastically floral, frilly little dresses and mowing the lawn. The end. Mm, my best dress. Why do I get the feeling that someday I'll be describing this to a psychiatrist? All right, so little quotables of Notable that I loved in this episode. As I said, the bosom bit. <laughs> now just a minute, <laughs> bosom. <laughs> also, this really cute moment where um, Homer's like already admitted defeat and he's trying to pick out a dress from Marge's wardrobe. <laughs> Marge, give me your honest opinion. This... Or this. All right, so let's start our first discussion, and that is, of course, miniature golf. So miniature golf, also known as mini golf, mini putt, mini putt putt, goofy golf, crazy golf, or putt putt, is an offshoot of basically the official game of sport where you just focus mainly on the putting aspect. If you haven't played miniature golf, I'm not even going to explain it. You need to go out and do it, but make sure you have a couple of beers before and after. It'll make it that much better. So I did try to get into the history of miniature golf to see if it was interesting and um, came across this really, really 80s documentary about the history of golf. And oh my God, it's boring. Who created the game of miniature golf? Well, we are heading to Chattanooga, actually up to Lookout Mountain to find the answer to this question. Dating as far back as the 1920s, we have tracked down the origins of the game and take a look at what we found. So basically in the episode, they go to Chattanooga at this place called Rock City and they find that there's like meant to be the first ever miniature golf course in America called Tom Thumb. So the guy who started it, apparently his wife had an obsession with European folklore. So they named it after Tom Thumb, the fairy tale, because, you know, it's small, cute. I did have a really interesting discussion with Cassie actually on the episode that didn't work about a golf course that's over in Thailand. I think it's in Phuket, she was saying. Dino Golf. And it's an entire miniature golf course that has like life-size dinosaurs there and you kind of putt around those. Um, Absolutely insane. It was closed when we went to Phuket, but I really wanted to go because some of the reviews were like, you know, the statues of the dinosaurs were very lifelike. And as Cassie pointed out, like, how do we know what dinosaurs look like? Just why I'm speaking out loud and sort of going off on a tangent. I'm pretty sure that dinosaurs have feathers, don't they? Like, that's what's quite new that we've decided. So um, 
Might need to write to Dino Golf and just let them know that they need to put feathers on their statues. Marge, this is our big chance to show up to Flanderises. Well, I'm sure it is, but why do we want to do that? Because sometimes the only way you can feel good about yourself is by making someone else look bad. And I'm tired of making other people feel good about themselves. So the chalkboard gag at the beginning of the episode sees Bart writing, I am not a 32-year-old woman. So this was a reference to uh, Nancy Cartwright, of course, the voice of Bart Simpson, who was 32 when the episode was produced. I find that really weird that she was 32 years old when she um, did this episode because for some reason in my head, Nancy Cartwright has always been a much older woman. I'm almost 32 and the thought that she was almost my age when she was doing The Simpsons just it, it just doesn't quite connect for me. So of course, Nancy Cartwright voices Bart Simpson, Nelson Muntz, Ralph Wiggum, Todd Flanders, and uh, Kearney Zizwich whose name I can never say properly, and also looks like it's spelt like Zizzy, or however I say his name. I don't know, I've never said these names out loud. Please, like, let me know how to say them properly. Speaking of voice actors in this episode, this is where we first hear the voice of Maud Flanders, Ned's loving wife, who is uh, voiced by Maggie Roswell. So Maggie Roswell also does Helen Lovejoy, Luann Van Houten, Miss Hoover, and a couple of additional voices. Nancy Cartwright commented on Roswell's acting, which I found a little bit shady, but tell me what you think. She said, Maggie has been blessed with a skill in creating one of the hardest things to create in voice acting, the normal sound. She can so easily slip into the gal next door. So as you may or may not know, uh, Maud Flanders was famously killed off the show after a rumored pay dispute between Maggie Roswell and the writers. So this was in 1999. Basically, when it happened, the dispute was not revealed to the press. They said that she got tired of flying between Denver, her home city, and Los Angeles for recording sessions. Then it came out that Roswell was not tired of traveling, but she found that the increasing cost of flight tickets meant that it didn't make sense for her to fly all the way to Los Angeles. Roswell was paid around $1,500 to $2,000 per episode. Seems pretty low for such a famous show. Um, so to cover the cost of her flights and everything, she asked for a raise to $6,000 per episode. Fox Studios came back with an offer of a $150 raise, which she said didn't even cover the travel costs. So she decided to quit. She later went on to tell the Denver Post that they offered me a $150 raise. I mean, that's lint in Fox's pocket, but Fox wanted to prove a point. I was flying myself back and forth from Denver to LA and I was exhausted. I love doing the show, and they thought I would come back. She did later add that I was part of the backbone of The Simpsons, and I don't think the money I was asking for was exorbitant. I wasn't asking for what other cast members made. I was just trying to recoup all the costs I had in travel. If they'd flown me in, I'd still be working. I'd like to point out that at this point in time, in 1999, the six main cast members of the show were paid $125,000 per episode. Isn't that insane? So there is a moment in this episode where Homer says, that shot is impossible. Jack Nicholson himself couldn't make it. According to the writers, this was kind of a joke that didn't quite work. So um, it's meant to be that he is thinking of Jack Nicklaus. Jack Nicklaus is actually said to be one of the most famous golfers of all time. He was nicknamed the Golden Bear. He was a professional golfer and he also designed golfing courses. 
However, it is notable that Jack Nicholson does play golf for fun and once got in trouble for hitting a driver's car with a golf club. So speaking of Jack Nicklaus, who has more wins? Because I always thought that Tiger Woods was the greatest golfer of all time. Um, so with 18 wins to his name, Nicklaus is currently leading. Woods is still at 15, with his last major title being the 2019 Masters. Um, speaking of Tiger Woods and all of his scandals, I think my dad's been playing a prank on me because my entire life, my dad was like, no, his first name really is Tiger. And then right there, boom, top of Wikipedia, his name is Eldrick Taunt Tiger Woods. So yeah, that's embarrassing. And I'm studying for the math fair. If I win, I'll bring home a brand new protractor. Too bad we don't live in a farm. Let's go, boy. For our final discussion of this episode, um, when Homer is training Bart, he tells him that he needs to name his golf club and tells him to name the golf club Charlene. No, come on. Give your putter a name. What? Come on, give it a name. Mr. Putter. You want to try a little harder, son? Come on, give it a girl's name. Mom. Your putter's name is Charlene. Why? It just is, that's why. So this is, of course, a reference to the very famous Stanley Kubrick movie, Full Metal Jacket, where uh, Marines in basic training are ordered to give their rifles female names, and one of the principal characters names his Charlene. So in the, um, Cassie and I were speaking about this because it's very interesting, actually. Why do we feel the need to give um, objects, especially, you know, weapons and things in war, why do we feel the need to give them female names? It's a very, It's a very weird thing, isn't it? I did have a look into the concept of why humans feel the need to give machines names you know um uh, a lot of us name our cars my car is called pebbles because it looks like a car from the flintstones before that i had redmond because it was a red car i'm not creative if you're catching on but i wondered why do we do this and um it's difficult to tell so i found a um research article in the atlantic that said that anthropomorphizing devices makes humans feel like machines work for them although men's names are occasionally used to christen things Enormous machines and great guns are often named after women, a trend that has, and I quote, interesting psychological implications that underscore the standing of women in society, men's perceptions of women, and how much control they believe they can wield over a woman, and so on. I did kind of have a look at um, naming your gun after a woman and a female, and I found this really weird horror thread. So the question was, do female gun owners give their weapons male names? And someone called Murphy Barrett, who has answered 12,000 questions with 138 million answer views, has written out an essay. I think it might be Murphy's wife because it begins, hello, my dears, sir has asked me to answer this as I am, after all, all female and he is not. Wink. Growing up, we didn't really name guns. Oh, we certainly had monikers for some of them. If Papa wanted the gun, he meant grandfather's Mosim Nagant. However, for masculine names... In December of 2008, I bought myself Barack. Barack is a 20-inch AR-15 from Rock River Arms. Actually, it's the only AR I own myself. Why did I name him Barack? Because when I put my mind to it, I can be a spiteful bitch. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. Is it, is someone, like, is that a lop? Or is that, like, actually Murphy Barrett's wife and... I don't know. Anyway, basically this answer just lists out like they have a ton of guns and they've all got really stupid names. So, um, yeah, there has always been the question of why do we name um, naval ships after women? You know, like when, whenever you hear people saying like the sea is a cruel mistress or um, there she blows and all that kind of stuff. 
So it is thought that um, sailors used to name their ships after women because, and the sexist joke goes, like a woman, a ship is unpredictable, which, uh, you know, okay, sure, fine. I guess also at sea, there weren't many women around and this was like the closest relationship that you could have that was not with another fellow sailor. I don't know. I don't know what happens on a boat. I have been watching Our Flag Means Death, so I guess it's kind of in those veins. Some people do suggest that we give um, ships female names because the Latin word for ship, navis, is feminine. But apparently that's not true because um, the word table in Latin is tabula, which is also feminine, but I've never called my kitchen table a she. Unless I'm feeling sassy and I've been watching too much RuPaul. I think it's just one of those things that humans do, you know, we name ships, we name machinery, we name our guns, and um, and often soldiers will do just that. You will. Pray not. Pray so. Pray not. Pray so. Pray not infinity. Pray so infinity plus one. Do. And on that note, we come to the end of another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, episode six of season two. And um, this was a cute little one, wasn't it? I quite like Dead Putting Society. Like, I forgot how sweet this episode was until I rewatched it recently. Um, and I'm really bummed out the audio didn't work on our first recording. So hopefully I'll be able to get Cassie back on another one. That would be good. The next one coming up is Bart versus Thanksgivings. This is the seventh episode in the second season. And in this episode, Bart runs away from home after destroying a centerpiece that Lisa made for Thanksgiving. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. And so concludes our tale. Good night. And keep watching the skis. Uh, skies.